thank you Lord for this precious word. Thank you that your word will not return void. It will accomplish that for which it was sent and it will prosper in Yeshua's mighty name. Thank you Lord for every heart, every spirit listening to this word Lord that the spirit man, all of our spirit man will grow strong. Thank you Lord that your word will go forth and produce much fruit in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 10. And this is the scripture which refers to the triumphal entry of Yeshua into Jerusalem. I'm sure all of you here are familiar with this particular scripture. I've entitled this message, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We can't put God in a box. And in today's world, that unfortunately is what has been happening. Because it's so easy from a religious perspective or an intellectual perspective to put God in a box. And he doesn't want to be boxed in. So I'm just going to read portions of this particular scripture and trust the Holy Spirit to just lead and guide and that every single person here will be greatly blessed. But I'm asking for the Holy Spirit just to open up spiritual eyes today, to open up spiritual eyes, to have a teachableness, to do things in a new way. The Lord is looking for new wineskins. He wants his church to rise up strong. And we as a local church here, under the authority of Graham as the pastor here, we just need to make sure that we are not missing God in any way. And so this is the, the word that he's placed in my spirit, and I'm trusting him for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do through this word today. I'm going to read from Matthew 21, verse 1. Let me just say, first of all, that prior to this particular chapter, Yeshua, Jesus, had been operating in a way where he was very popular. The crowds were literally rushing after him. He was so, so popular, but not in a way that the intellectual mind could actually understand. So reading from chapter 21, verse 1, When they approached Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Yeshua sent two disciples ahead, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and at once you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say, The Lord needs them, and without delay the owner will send them with you. This happened so that what was spoken by the prophet would be fulfilled. Now I'm going to just read that just now, but I want to emphasize this first part here. There was Yeshua. He knows that he's going to have a triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he knows he's going to do it so differently to what the normal situation would be. People were expecting a king. A king would normally come in a chariot with a magnificent white horse. But this was not the case with Yeshua. He came in a very opposite way. And that's God. God does things opposite to the world system. He is a God who does not want to be boxed in. And we need to, with our spiritual eyes, flow with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so 
He gives instructions to these two disciples, I think it was Peter and John, and he says, go ahead into a village and you will find a donkey, a female donkey with her colt. There was this little colt. And sure enough, they go and they find this donkey. And then the Lord says, untie the mare and her little colt and then just say, if anybody asks you, just say to them, oh, the Lord has need of it. Now, can you imagine going to the local spa and saying, oh, I'm just going to take a bicycle from sitting at the spa there and I'll just bring it home. It's needful. Well, that is exactly what it must have been like. Now, in modern day terms, that would have been theft, wouldn't it? In those days as well. It's theft. It would have seemed like theft, but it wasn't. It wasn't theft because the Lord had need of it and he, everything belongs to him anyway. The whole world belongs to God. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him and he is Lord and he is King. King of kings and Lord of lords. Okay, so there, these guys go in. They do exactly. He commanded them. He said, go, go and do that. You see, we are under his lordship. And he's a God who actually commands. He doesn't say if you feel like doing something. He actually commands. He said, go, go and do this. Go into the village opposite you. And at once you will find a donkey tied. So they did this. And they come back. Now, I just want to mention that a donkey, a very humble choice of transportation. But in biblical times, the donkey was actually used by kings. So it had to, you see, this is God. I love his, he's got such a sense of humor. <laughs> he loves just taking things totally and putting it totally opposite to what we as human beings actually understand. That's God. <laughs> and um, so he goes in and he's, now the, the, the donkey was also associated with material blessing in biblical times. That's a funny thing, isn't it? Even though it's a very humble form of transportation, from biblical perspective, the donkey was actually associated with material blessing. The other reason for the donkey is it's a very humble creature that was used for working hard. Donkeys work hard. So Yeshua chose a little colt that had never been broken in to ride as the king of the universe. Isn't that awesome? He humbled himself. The people were going mad. It actually says there in verse 10 of this chapter, it says, When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was trembling with excitement, saying, Who is this? They were trembling with excitement. He was so, so popular. Why? Because he was healing. He was delivering. He was setting the captive free. He was opening blind eyes. He was healing deaf ears. Awesome God. Just performing miracles, but he had the humility to come in on a little cult, unbroken. And apparently, I mean, I was doing a bit of research for this, so apparently a little cult, which has never been broken in, doesn't just trust anybody. They won't just trust anybody, but they must have trusted Yeshua because he had got onto this little cult. And then the disciples, this was the respect that they had for their leader. They had a respect for their leader. They came and they put garments, their own coats. I mean, these guys were fishermen, so I don't think they were that well off. They put their own coats onto the little cult for the Lord of glory to have 
so that he could sit on something that was comfortable. I don't think it's that comfortable. I've never ridden a donkey, but I shouldn't think it's that comfortable. The colt didn't have a saddle. They had such respect for the master that they took off their coats. And not just the disciples, but all the people. I mean, reading on a bit further, they were glorifying the Lord. They put their coats, they put palm trees, they put their coats, their garments down on the street saying, Hallelujah to the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory. They had such awesome respect for the King of Kings. They had a fear of God because they recognized this is the Messiah and he's worthy of all praise and all glory and all honor. This is the God that we serve here today in 2022. So then the disciples went and they, I just want to backtrack a little bit here. Verse 4 says, This happened so that what was spoken by the prophet would be fulfilled, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion. Daughter of Zion is, means the people of Jerusalem. It doesn't mean just woman. It means the people of Jerusalem. Okay, so tell the daughter of Zion, the people of Jerusalem, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So that's how Yeshua entered Jerusalem, on the back of a donkey. Now there is a cross-reference in Zechariah 9 verse 9, which I'd just like to read, which was a prophecy which was given by Zechariah the prophet many, many years prior to this actually happening. And it says here, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion being Israel. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and endowed with salvation, humble and unassuming in submission to the will of the Father. My Bible in Proverbs actually puts that in brackets. In submission to the will of the Father. That was prophesied many, many years prior to this actually taking place. That's God. So, humble and unassuming in submission to the will of the Father and riding on a donkey upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't this awesome? How God speaks from beginning to end. What he says in the beginning, throughout from beginning to end, he's the Alpha and the Omega. What he says is the truth, and we've got to know the whole picture, not just bits and pieces here there. That's why this Bible is a lifetime endeavor of study. Now the definition of the word humble, an attitude which expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses. That is the word, that's the definition I looked up. An attitude which expresses itself in the patient endurance of offenses. The word of God is offensive. It is extremely offensive. And if the spirit man is not built up, is not strong, it is going to get very, very offended. Particularly now the religious spirit is an evil spirit that we are up against as the church, as a local church and the whole entire body of Christ. There is something known as a religious spirit, and it is such an evil force. And Yeshua himself was in constant opposition to this evil spirit. That's why he called some people brood of vipers. Now that can sound very offensive, 
But it's the truth. He had to come against that evil spirit. And we, as the modern day church, have to have our spiritual eyes opened to this evil spirit of religion, which is permeating, permeating our society. Now, Christ constantly endured offense. And we, as born again believers, if we are not enduring offense, which is persecution, then we're not doing a very good job. We are going to be more and more persecuted. That is the reality. It's not a bed of roses being a Christian. It is a very, very difficult road to walk. The Bible says narrow, narrow is the road to life. Wide is the road that everybody is walking towards destruction. It is a narrow, narrow road, and we've got to realize that. It is a narrow, narrow road. But it's a wonderful road because the fruit that comes out of every born-again believer, every single one of us, that decides, I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to get rid of intellectual pride. I'm going to get humble myself. And I'm going to get rid of anything that is religious, any association with religion. As Graham has often said, we need to have a desperation, a desperation for the things of God. We've got to really mean business, not on our own terms, but on his terms. And his terms are not easy. So in the patient endurance of offenses, Christ constantly endured offense. And this is because he was constantly challenged by the religious sector of society. That spirit is out there. Do you know why they kept on coming against him? Because they were jealous. They hated the supernatural that they could see. They hated the shining light. They were jealous. And when there is jealousy, there is contention, there is evil. That spirit operates with jealousy. They hated seeing the signs, the wonders, the supernatural power. They hated seeing the anointing on Yeshua. And so they were constantly criticizing him. They were constantly on at him. They were constantly comparing themselves to him, trying to be better. And it was a very evil spirit. And he stood up on so many occasions. Now, as he comes into Jerusalem, he comes in on this little donkey. And the people are saying here, Hosanna to the Son of David, Messiah. Blessed, praised, glorified is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. In the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. They were just worshipping him. They knew who he was because they could see that mantle of authority on his life. And I just wanted to say something here. As far as God is concerned, he cannot be boxed in. You and I cannot box God in. If I were to put, now I wrote out a lot of characteristics and names of God, his attributes. I put them on here. And then I just wanted to do this as a little object lesson. Jessica, do you think this fits in this box? Why do you think it doesn't fit in this box? Too big. Do you think God is just too big to be boxed in? How big is God? He is immeasurable. I'm going to read a few things that just describe this God that we serve. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Strong Tower, Great Physician, The Word, Wonderful, 
the truth. He is the absolute truth. There is only an absolute truth. There's no compromise. There's only truth. He is the truth. He is provider. He is Yahweh. He is Yeshua. That is the truth. God is our salvation. That is his real name. That is the truth. Anointed one, bread of life, refuge, advocate, great high priest, rock. He is love. He is wisdom. He is healer. He is sovereign. He is friend. He is omnipresent. Strong tower, redeemer. He is Abba. Resting place, hiding place, living water, gracious. He is Alpha, He is Omega, He is Almighty God, He is Creator, Mighty Warrior, Most High, Eternal Father, He is Light, He is Hope, He is King of the Universe, He is Wealthy, He is so prosperous, He is so, so rich. And he wants to transfer that richness, that wealth down onto heaven, from heaven to earth, so that the kingdom of heaven is extended on this earth. He wants to put so much prosperity on his people, so that his kingdom will go forth in power and authority, and that the wicked will see, the unrighteous will see, that God is alive and he's a glorious God. He's shepherd. He's the great I am. He is wonderful counselor. He is the lion of Judah. He is a mighty warrior. He's a banner. He's the all-sufficient one. He's the exalted one. He's humble. Wow, is he humble? Is he humble? Is God humble that he has us as his children and he has to put up with all our nonsense and he wants the glory to be transferred into our lives so that we can truly represent God, not as weak Christians, but as powerful little gods on this earth, because that's what the Bible says we are. Jenna, did you know you are a little god on this earth? You are not God, but you are created in the image of God Almighty. And that's awesome. That is awesome. Don't let anybody ever lie to you and tell you that you are not a little god on this earth, because the Bible says it in Psalms. He is master. He is Prince of Peace. He is awesome. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, the religious mindset, as I said, loves to put God in a box. To try and put God into this little box that will make him easy to understand. And that's the challenge for each one of us to continually get our minds renewed to the truth. What does God actually say? That's why Graham goes to great lengths to constantly produce the word, produce the word, so that minds are renewed continually. Now, I just wanted to say that Yeshua came on this donkey, but one day he will come as a warrior king. He came humble, gentle, riding a donkey. One day he's going to come as the warrior king, as a mighty king, and he's going to shake the world. That's actually what's going to happen. It says there in Revelations verse 19, verse 11, it says, this was John 
John, one of the apostles, he was on the island of Patmos and God gave him incredible revelation. This is one of them. He says here, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He didn't come the first time making war. He came as Prince of Peace. But he's going to come again, and he's going to come in all his glory. And we, as his church, need to make sure that we are ready and that we bring as many people into that place of reconciliation with him. That is our mandate, actually. I mean, there's lots of different callings, etc. But our number one mandate is to reconcile people with the Father. That's our mandate as born-again believers. Every single one of us has a mandate to reconcile people with Father God through Yeshua and his blood and put people into right standing. So he will come back. And the Lord just said, when I was preparing, he said it's so important that people are continually making themselves ready, that we as the church are making ourselves ready by continually being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, by continually making sure that our, you know, there's that parable about the five virgins that were foolish and the five virgins that were wise. And it was the five wise virgins that were continually filling their tanks with the Holy Spirit. They were continually making themselves ready for the bridegroom who was going to come. Now there again, those virgins are men as well. You see, God speaks in ways that are very often totally misunderstood by the, the intellectual mind. His virgins are men as well. He doesn't just say, oh, you ladies are the virgins in that. That is just a symbolism. It's a symbolism. Men are the virgins as well. You should be making sure their tanks are filled to overflowing. Okay, so... In Luke 12, verse 40, it says, Be continually ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. That's frightening. It's actually frightening. He could come any moment, you know. I know it's dependent upon us as Christians Christians on the earth. We are the ones who are supposed to be making the difference. We are in many, many ways, but the important thing is to be ready. We've got to be ready. And our responsibility is to make sure that people know where they are going when they die. Now, the Bible says, When he entered Jerusalem, all the city was trembling with excitement. But the Pharisees were indignant. Just a bit further, after Yeshua had gone into the streets of Jerusalem and he had this crowd just worshipping him, guess who was stirred up? The religious people of the day. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were really fed up with this Messiah, this rabbi who was causing such a stir. And then it says here in verse 4, And the blind and the lame came to him in the porticos and courts of the temple area, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful and miraculous things that Yeshua had done, and heard the boys who were shouting in the porticos and courts of the temple, In praise and adoration, Hosanna to the son of David, the Messiah, they became indignant. Here we see Yeshua had come into the temple area. He started to heal people, blind people, etc. And there were the Pharisees, the chief priests, starting to come against him. But you know what 
happens here, and I think this is so beautiful, here apparently, during this time of Passover, there would have been a lot of 12-year-old boys preparing for their entering into manhood during that time in the temple. So Yeshua comes along, and they just start worshipping him. Now there the rabbis are, trying to teach these young boys of how they're supposed to operate. And along comes the Messiah, and they start worshipping him. I mean, it says they got all excited, and they were just adoring him. Can you imagine 12-year-old boys in this day and age just suddenly jumping up and down and worshipping, Hallelujah, 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 just worshipping God? 12-year-old boys entering into manhood, and the chief priests are fed up because now these guys, are, this guy, this Yeshua, is stealing their thunder, as it were. <laughs> He's stealing their thunder. And these little guys are just going wild. They say, this is the real thing, you guys. You are such stuffy old traditional priests. So this is the real thing. They knew the truth. They saw the truth. They knew who he was. And so it says here, he said to them, because they were indignant, do you hear what these children are saying? And Yeshua replied to them, yes. Have you never read in the scripture, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared and provided praise for yourself? Now Psalm 8 actually is a cross-reference to this. And what is interesting, now I just want to just mention this, because you can't put God in a box. I believe Yeshua was not just talking about little ones, because it talks about out of the mouth of babes. I believe he was talking about a generation of the young ones, the younger people. I really believe it's the spirit of what Yeshua was saying. You see, these little boys, they saw the truth. They didn't want the dog collar, as it were in modern day society today. They didn't want to see, I don't know if any of you have watched Pride and Prejudice, with that awful priest, I'm sure you have, most of you have. Collins, oh, he's dreadful. What a ghastly creature. He represented everything that was tradition and religion. And they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Stodgy old Collins, and that's tradition. And that must have been what these little boys must have felt. They see the real thing in Yeshua because he's healing, he's delivering, he's setting the captive free. And then they see these guys. I saw the other day where these little Jewish boys have to have these things wound around their arms. It's representative of having the word around you all the time. They go through, even today, these rituals. They learn what it means to be a man. And it's, it's symbolism, but it's not the real thing, because they don't even know the Messiah. But it's the spirit of it. And Psalm 8 verse 2 says, Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries that you may silence the enemy and make the revengeful cease. There's power in young people when you guys praise the Lord, when you dance in church, when you lift your hands. That's where God actually created dance to be. Real dancing is supposed to actually take place in the church. God is the one, it was his idea in the first place, who created dance. He created us to dance. He created us to praise. It's the religion that says, oh, keep your hands low. It's a religious spirit that says, I don't want to praise God. It's a religious spirit. It's actually a rebellious spirit, an evil spirit. And God wants to set the captive free 
There's such freedom and beauty in praising God, in praising the Lord in the church setup. It's not about what anybody thinks. It's about what he thinks. It's about him. It's about God. And he's awesome and he's worthy of all our praise. He is worthy of all of our praise. It's so important that this religious spirit, that our spiritual eyes are actually opened. You see, conforming to the world system. That world system is going to constantly put pressure on. And that's why the word is so important. I'm just going to give a few examples of this religious spirit from a practical sense. The first one, use this example, because Edda was an elderly lady here in the complex. Some of you will remember Edda. And when Edda went through her water baptism, I did the actual teaching and Graham baptized her as the pastor of the church. Then, sadly, she passed on. She was a dear old lady. She actually was baptized here in this bath and had a wonderful conversion, wonderful testimony of how the Lord had touched her for baptism. But it was a Lutheran pastor. You see, her sister, she organized the, the memorial service. She'd come out of a Lutheran background. She paid for the whole thing. And being family, she organized the memorial service. And I'll never forget, there was an opportunity for people to share about Edda. So I stood up and I just shared about her baptism. You know, how God had touched her in her baptism. And that religious spirit couldn't stand what I said. That I've never seen. I mean, it was like a serpent looked at me. He looked so angry that I dared to say anything about how God had touched Edda during her baptism. I mean, how ridiculous. But I want to just give that as an example because that religious spirit is evil and it always looks like it's doing the right thing. You've got to have such discernment with the religious spirit. And there are times where the prophetic voice has to come against it. And it's, it's not going to make us very popular because Yeshua wasn't popular. I mean, he was popular because of his healing and deliverances, but he wasn't popular with the religious people. They hated his guts. They wanted to destroy him, and eventually they did, with the devil behind it all. So we've got to have spiritual eyes open. And don't put God in a box. Don't put God in a box. And that doesn't mean that we just, oh, I'm just not religious, I'm just going to go with the way of the world, and girls just dress the way they feel like it, the same as the girls in the world. I'll just go and do this because I'm identifying with the, the people in the world. No, we come up higher. We are different. We are not the same as the world. We are different. And that dress code is important. It's aspects like that. That's not being religious. That's being godly. And we've got to realize we don't get conformed to the pattern of this world. We get conformed to him and what he requires. And the Bible says that every woman should dress decently and appropriately. And it's important to make sure that we do these things because we are shining lights in the darkness. And women are not supposed to cause men to stumble. It's very, very important. We have to be different. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to just mention, this was another example of the religious spirit that just manifested in a very subtle way. And I used to be part of the Mothers Who Care. 
at Pretoria Boys High in Timothy was there at, and I used to go on Monday morning and pray with the moms there. And then um, the whole idea was to have communion. Wanting to have communion, break bread as a mother's group, you know, as we prayed and interceded for the boys. And anyway, the lady who was the head of that particular group, she was actually a pastor's wife of a big church here in Pretoria. And she said, no, we can't possibly do that because it will offend other women there who are from religious backgrounds. And I thought, how sad. How sad that because of worrying about offending somebody, you can't, as a mother's group, have communion, breaking bread together, when it could have been something so beautiful. So I, I remember just going and sitting on the lawn with this friend of mine, we just had communion anyway. You know, you have to respect authority. But it could have been so powerful, so much more powerful, if the woman who is actually in charge, I'm not going to be offended, I'm going to do what God tells me to do and have communion. I'm not going to allow that religious spirit to stop what God wants to do. And that's what we've got to be so careful of, that that spirit doesn't stop what God wants to do, because he wants to break forth in power and authority. He wants to raise up his church and not be conformed to the religious system of society. And it could have just been so powerful. I knew it was a religious spirit there. And this friend of mine knew it was as well. So we just, but we didn't make a scene, just quietly went and did it ourselves. But how much more powerful if everybody's together in unity. And whoever was in charge could have done it and just said, well, if, you know, if you're not happy to do it, you don't have to. But it could have been an open door for people to say, no, I'd love to. Because communion is for, for anybody. It's not for the dog-collared priest to do communion. Communion is for every single person on this earth. It can be done in, in the home. It can be done in the park. It can be done under the tree. It can be done on your own. It can be done with someone else. It, it's so powerful. Communion is a powerful weapon that the church needs to use more and more and more. It's not just to come together as for church. So, but the religious mind says, no, the priest must do it. What absolute rubbish. It's not just for the priests, it's for anybody. It says, do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. I wanted to just give another example. This is for you. Well, it's actually for the young girls. And maybe if you can turn it around for the, the young guys who are yet to find a partner in life. When I lived in Matari in Zimbabwe and I lived on the farm with my family there, I had a friend who's... But anyway, this young man was from the Dutch Reformed Church, a traditional church background. And I, of course, was looking for a husband. This situation came up. It was just prior to me going off to Bible school. And um, this young man came up and he had a respectable background, wonderful family. They were farming folk. My parents knew his parents, you know, well, they knew of each other. You know, it was respectable people. But there was one problem. They were religious. And there was this young man. He was very keen on me. And then I started to sort of have queries. I thought, oh, maybe this is the right person for me. Now I wanted to go to Bible school. And I was going off to Bible school. But it was like a very subtle religious spirit that was trying to stop the call because God had Graham in mind for me. But it was a religious spirit that was 
trying to just dissuade me from the man of God that I was supposed to marry. And he looked all respectful and very nice, etc., etc. But he couldn't speak in tongues. He wasn't part of the Pentecostal church that I belonged to. He didn't flow in the gifts of the Spirit. He looked all good and he was a very nice person, but not the person for me. There was a religious spirit. You see, young people, you only want God's best. And you want spiritual people. You want godly people. You want people who you are compatible one with another, who believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, who can talk in tongues. And if you can't talk in tongues now, just believe God to talk in tongues. Because we are living in a spiritual dimension as the church. And God is on the move. And the Bible actually said, don't miss the day of your appointment with you, as it were, when my spirit is poured out. You see, God is moving. And we want to make sure that as a church, we are moving with him in every respect. And that takes dedication. It takes time. And it goes against the flow of what is comfortable. And you see, the comfort zone, the traditional rabbis in Yeshua's times, they felt very uncomfortable when suddenly these 12-year-old boys, their disciples, were now suddenly praising and worshipping this to them, who was an upstart, but, you know, the Messiah, he was really the Messiah. Can you imagine? They must have felt very uncomfortable. And it is uncomfortable to follow God. It's uncomfortable in this church. This church is not an easy church to be in at all. It really is not. But can I tell you, working through every, and I'm talking from experience, working through every bit of uncomfortableness, as it were, is worth it. It's worth it because it builds character, it matures, it makes one a person who is not in it just for the comfort, but is in it for God and what God wants to do in this community, not just in the community, in our homes, in every respect. And it's uncomfortable, but there's a religious spirit, and we need to make sure that we, as a local church, under the leadership of Graham, God has placed Graham as the spiritual head of our father's house for a reason. And it is that authority which actually is a protection. It's a protection. It's a protection to be in a church with a local authority. God cannot be put in a box. He can't be conformed to what may be Sue, what maybe you've learned all your life. Or Rolf, what you've learned all your life. Or Mandy or Norman. Or Alex or Sharon. Or anybody sitting here, or Janet, or Graham. It has to be conformed to his image, how he sees things. And that is a continual dedication to the Word of God. That is a continual dedication to Bible studies. A continual dedication to, no, I don't feel like it because I've got too much work to do. That's not God. That's the flesh. And I'm not saying that it's not important to, to put sure there are priorities, etc. It boils down to hearing the voice of God. But the Bible is clear that our minds have to be conformed, not to the pattern of this world, but by the renewing of our minds, so we think what God thinks. His truth, and that takes guts. And it took guts for Yeshua to do what he did. It took guts to go to the cross. It took guts to do things the will of the Father. It takes guts. 
But it's that courage that transforms. It's that courage where the anointing actually flows. The anointing costs. The anointing costs. That's why Yeshua, he didn't have a comfortable life. The anointing costs. And it does not gel well with the pattern of this world. So I'm going to end off here. So I think I'll just end with a prayer that our spiritual eyes will be opened in every single way. Father God, thank you, Lord, that you have given us a spirit man. Each one of us has a spirit man. It is a spirit man that connects with you. And it's the mind that needs to be transformed to thinking your thoughts, your ways. You are not in accordance with the world system. We have been translated out of darkness and into light. That's what the Bible says. And Father, you work uniquely with every single one of us. And Lord, I know that you are saying these things through me because you want change. You are a God who loves. You are a God who wants the very best for every single one of us. And you want change. You don't want us just to keep on going the same old way. You want us to do things differently. And that requires commitment in every respect. So Father, I just pray. I bind that spirit of religion. I bind it and release the spirit of Almighty God that every single one of us will see things from your perspective as we read the word, as we hear the word, as we interact together as a church. However it is done, Lord, I just pray that our spiritual eyes would be open to this evil religious spirit and that we would not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you, Lord, and thank you. I give you all the honor and the glory. And I thank you for your wonderful name, the name of Yeshua, which means God is our salvation. And you want salvation to come to us in every, every respect. Amen and amen.